1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions
0: apply. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips. And share. For more information, check them out at ClipIt.tv or check them on Twitter at Clip it TV. You're listening to BGN Radio.
1: Eagles outside linebacker Connor Barwin joins us.
2: I heard you guys are the best Eagles podcast there is out there in Philly, so I'm excited to talk to you guys.
0: There is a guarantee that I just woke up to Lady Barchard from her nap as we're recording BGN Radio episode number 222 uh, right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. Also, of course, BGN Radio. We've got the draft experts back with us. Once again, from TheEaglesWire.com, Mr. Teron Davenport. Teron, what's happening, buddy?
3: What's going on? It's good to be on.
0: Uh, and, of course, lead draft writer from BleedingGreenNation.com, Mr. Ben DeTon.
2: How are you, sir? Doing well. It's a, it's a snow day today, so I'm just I'm looking forward to doing absolutely nothing for the rest of the day.
0: Yes, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the wine bottles have been popped, and uh, we've been talking about ice cream already, so... It's uh, hopefully going to be an eventful, fun podcast for you. And of course, if you are out there listening on SoundCloud or iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you are, if you have the options of subscribing, rating, and reviewing, uh, we would be honored if you would do that for us. And of course, the five-star reviews go a very, very long way. And uh, just like every episode, it is brought to you by Clip It, which you have heard a million times is indeed the hottest app that is out there and the only reason why I bring that up is I want to just congratulate our five winners from our quick little uh you know Super Bowl contest that we had there. Uh you will all be getting some uh, some Eagles gear uh, courtesy of the TV. So we'll be doing those uh, kind of every every other week I think uh, throughout the offseason. We got to keep it we got to keep it fun, you know. So uh that's what's happening there. But uh we uh do have some Eagles news on the horizon as there's been there's been some murmurs, and the Eagles have already been making some moves here. Teron, uh, once again, you will not have the continuity of, of cornerbacks, and the man that I guess we could say supposedly was supposed to replace Eric Rowe is no longer with the football team. Uh, McKelvin being cut early is uh, is pretty much a sign that he – I don't know if he's going to get picked up anytime soon, but uh, I mean this was kind of an obvious move that we all thought was coming, right?
3: Yeah, it's something that you had to see coming – 3.5 million dollars. That, that was his cap number. And this guy struggled throughout the season, obviously an injury thing, but I think he'll get picked up. One of the things about him, man, he was a great interview. Any of the guys, you know, on the beat will tell you that. And he was always someone that, that you go up to you're guaranteed to get a, a quote that's just going to have you walking away laughing. I mean, he, he was a really good interview. Unfortunately, things just didn't work out for him here in Philadelphia. And Hey, I mean it's time to move on.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's kind of crazy as we'll get heavy into the uh, the the CB discussion here. But again, Ben, not a not a surprise here, right, buddy?
2: No, there. I forgot the exact stat, but he allowed something like the most touchdowns in the league for a starting cornerback and there was he was one of the main reasons the, the back end of that defense got so rough especially down the stretch but like teron said you know he's very likable in the locker room and there's still some ability there where you just want would want him as a depth guy so i could see him getting picked up later in the offseason
0: uh could we play taps for brandon thank you very much thank you for putting that on uh brandon uh i'm sorry buddy wherever you are out there i know that he was he was the greatest <laughs> in your eyes but uh, i'm i think we'll all be kind of uh, happy that we're gone. I want to get back into the cornerback discussion because I'm I'm starting to realize just something, and it's just it's it's so frustrating. It's actually turned I think my entire opinion on what exactly the Eagles need early and often and all of the time. Uh, I also want to get uh, to the point where uh, Tim McManus uh, had been uh, reporting here, Ben, that you know the, the Eagles are are going to attempt to approach to have Jason Peters take a pay cut, which. Sounds great at all, but uh, you know he's he's kind of on his on his uh, last legs, at least how I look at that. He is anyway. Uh, I don't think he's he has kind of all the leverage that's going here. Do you think that it is at all a small, tiny little bit of possibility that Jason Peters goes? Yeah, sure. I'll take a I'll take a restructured contract when I'm owed eleven million dollars this year. I <laughs>
2: coming from a personal perspective, I would never take a pay cut. But you know, Jason Peters has always been viewed as this like amazing, amazing team leader, locker room guy. And you always see those guys around the league end up, you know, restructuring their contract at least to help out the team, you know, trying to get that money maybe down the line a little bit um, as a fan, you know, a fan and as someone who covers the team, I would love to, you know, I would, I want him to stay here. And I think someone brought up a point earlier in the week that the team wouldn't have approached him about taking a pay cut unless they were prepared to actually cut him. Um, and that, that is like a sad, that's a sad realization for me as a fan. Now that is to say that, you know, big V and and Sumalu, uh, had, you know, very positive rookie seasons and, and probably gave the team some encouragement about their depth along their their depth and flexibility, um, on their offensive line, which is something that we're saying for the first time in a little bit, but I think that Peters should be here next year. and, And the priority should be to keep him here for at least another year while, you build depth and, and kind of add more young guys to that meeting room that he can maybe mentor. Um, but I, I don't really see him taking a pay cut, but at the same time it wouldn't surprise me if he did just because of the kind of person that he is.
3: Yeah. I, I don't think Jason Peters should in any way take any shorts. He's earned the right to, to be paid that kind of money. And I understand, Hey, you want to try to maneuver things to make, to make a, uh, you know, yourself able to make more moves and free agent, but no, there there are other things that they could do. And I tell you what, if they feel that they're ready to cut Jason Peters and, and, and put someone else out there at left tackle, <laughs> they, they got another thing coming because this is a league where you have to have guys bookends. You have to have a right and a left tackle Lane Johnson. I mean, to me, it, it's, it's absurd to take a guy who's, one of the top three right tackles and move them to left tackle. You're reducing your offensive line twofold by doing that. And don't get me wrong, Big V, when he had the opportunity to play, he did an outstanding job. But let's be real about it. This team was different when Lane Johnson was at right tackle. And frankly, Jason Peters was their best offensive lineman this year. So to go to him and ask him to take a pay cut, I think is a slap in the face. And I don't think there's any way that they should be doing it.
0: Yeah, I think there is a um, – <laughs> it's weird because I, I have a bunch of different takes and, and this has been – Kind of an ongoing conversation about Jason Peters and his future. I really do. Yeah, I'm with Teron, and I'm with Ben too. I mean, like, I don't, I, I wouldn't take a pay cut if I was him. Are you crazy? And he has all the leverage here, so I, don't, I don't think if if you really want to cut him, he can go to a Super Bowl team and, and chase that ring that he's probably all, he, all always wanted to get, and probably still at a at a pretty decent price. It won't be 11 million dollars, obviously, but he'll have kind of a, a lot of control of where he lands. I, I, I think. To a point, Lane Johnson is going to be your left tackle at some point anyway. So if you really think that you want to move on from it, then then go ahead and do it. But if you're trying to rely on, just like we said, Big V or any of those guys that are playing right tackle, forget about it. I mean, we it's it's not even we we can start having it completely shifts your drafts. Once again, like you can you can shut down all the running back talk early because that's not what they're going to do. You're going to have to go find, again, an offensive lineman that's going to be a, have to compete for a starting job right away. You know, and if you're going to do that with Peters and Kelsey and then have, and switch all this other stuff around, that's fine. If you want to do it and just have the continuity of that moving forward, that's that's dangerous. I, I also look at look, you're really playing with fire. And we've talked about this before, but you're really playing with fire with Jason Peters here. I understand that he had a fantastic year and didn't have any of the injuries that you had saw previously. And that could be due to age. It could just be the chip system after running him into the ground for so long and not having that, hey, you're a veteran, just take these days off and come up and show for the game. He's at that point now. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame left tackle. I I, I think if you've gone this far... You might as well just keep it around for a year. The same with Darren Sproles. I've, I've kind of suggested that, yeah, I mean, if you're going to lose these guys next year, go get something for them. But at the same time, if you really do want to just kind of wait and not have to be, again, sucked into all these different needs, we still don't know what's going to happen with Benny Logan. We, I mean, and, and, and that could create things for that. If it if it allows you to keep Benny Logan and then also do things in free agency, fine, sure. If you want to just bite the bullet now, I'm, I'm okay with that, but... Uh, there, there there will be a definite kind of switch that's going here. and we and and getting back to the corner things here, Teron is is just like it's the same thing with that. So uh, at least there's been the same guys in the system in the offensive line at least for a while, even though the systems have been different. But I went back and just to just to make sure that I wasn't crazy here. but with with Mckelvin now, Moving on, and obviously you're not going to keep them around just to, just for continuity purposes because his play obviously showed that you shouldn't, but the Eagles have now not had the same two starting corners, honestly, since Lito you know, and Sheldon. We, we went back to, to, to check, and you're just like, oh, my God, this is, this is crazy. You know, it, it's been switched around for the last, it's going to be seven years now, that there aren't the same two guys on the outside, and... What the hell, man? <laughs> you know, let's so so so. I, I I'm I'm now way on board with like you know what? Let's just focus on the secondary. Let's get two guys that are you know are at least gonna be here for four years on their rookie contracts, and they will stay with the team, and and just go from there. Figure everything out afterwards. Go get secondary help right now.
3: Well, there, there's no doubt they're gonna double down at the cornerback position, and the last time they did that, look what happened. First round pick 26, you got Lito. Second round pick 59. You got Sheldon Brown, and both of those guys were the starters. And i I tell you something that's really interesting. When we get into the O.J. Howard conversation, I'm going to bring this back up. But at that time, they had a pro bowler in Bobby Taylor. They had one of the best corners in Troy Vincent. And, oh, by the way, they had one of the best nickel guys in Al Harris. But they still went and got players because they they saw what was going to happen in the future. They saw the direction that things were going as far as when they were going to have to move on from guys. They didn't reach for a wide receiver, despite having James trash, Freddie Mitchell on the <laughs> roster as well as Nate Brown. And we'll talk about that later. But that being said, I think this is a year where they're going to need to double down. If a guy like a Sidney Jones, a, a Tabor is there, you know, uh, you got to definitely consider Sidney Jones is on, is, is there when they pick, I think they need to run to the to the board and, and, you know, make that pick. But at the same time, you look at some of the guys that are available later, and we'll get into that. This is a year where they need to double down, and you're going to have a guy in Jalen Mills who's a capable starter. So they should have a, a rotation of three guys for at least the next three years if they draft correctly. And Joe Douglas is hitting that corner position pretty hard as well as how howie Roseman who I think the corner is his favorite position because anytime he talks about that he seems to light up a little more than when he talks about any other and I just in watching him at the senior bowl he was very intently watching 101s and even watching the DBs in in their in their individual period so it's going to be a year where you'll see two maybe even three guys selected
0: yeah I, i'm and i'm down with that you know i i kind of like that's been suggested before and ben i guess for you for you too i mean this is this almost just says like I I think that it's I think it's I think they're going to be very active in free agency and it's going to they they have to they have to find wide receivers and now they definitely have to find cornerbacks in free agency or they're going to be locked up into that thing you know the OJ Howard discussion that we're going to get into is out the window if they don't go and attack it so I mean is is there one guy out there right now for you and we've talked about a bunch of names but who who's going to fit with this team the best do you think in in this free agent cornerback uh, class
2: I think the obvious answer with this would be Stephon Gilmore. He walks out of Buffalo just because of his experience with Jim Schwartz and his success. No. that he No. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but at the same time, if, if it ends up being a guy like Gilmore, you're also going to be paying a lot of money. Um, and I think it's going to be really big for the Eagles at all positions to be playing the value game during this offseason, which is why I think a, a better alternative to maybe Gilmore would probably be Drake or Patrick if he ends up walking I out of Cincinnati. Look. Uh, um because Kirkpatrick, despite being your you know, a bigger, more physical cornerback, still brings that element and he can play off coverage. He has decent ball skills, and he's a guy who can really push um in that cornerback room, you know, to be the number one cornerback or maybe be the number two cornerback. And a big thing in that position. Is going to be competition for the Eagles. Uh, and I think that even if they go out and get a guy who's, who's a theoretical starter during free agency, I would still draft two cornerbacks during this draft class. Cause this draft class is so deep at the position. You have to stick your hand in the pot, add some young guys to that meeting room, you know, push Jalen Mills, you know, Jalen Mills had a up and down rookie season, but he was a seventh round pick. And, but regardless of what he did during his rookie season, you shouldn't get complacent with this idea that maybe he'll improve going into next year. You have to get as many, you got to get young guys in there. You need an established vet, veteran like Drake Kirkpatrick. And that dynamic will kind of breed a competition in the secondary, whereas last year you had a bunch of new guys come in, a bunch of young guys, but no one, no one really was pushing each other because they're all just kind of replacement level players. Um, and it just ended up being, you know, McKelvin, Carroll and Mills. And we saw how that really turned out for the team. But if you add, you know, a first or second round pick at the position on top of, uh, you know, a starter that you add during free agency and maybe a mid round pick, then you're pushing, you have four guys in the meeting room who are pushing for theoretically three starting spots. If you include that nickel spot and you, then you're going to get the, you're going to get the best players out there rather than just getting the players that you have out there. Did which Tyron, I think no, is what no, the Eagles are doing last did, year.
0: did, did Teron influence you to say Drake Kirkpatrick when he's screaming, No, when you hear about Stephen I'm just, no, well, I'm just
2: I mean I I think I think that Kirkpatrick is a good player and I think he's also gonna cost a lot less than Stephon Gilmore, which is gonna be big for the Eagles since they don't have a ton of cap space this off season and there's gonna ha- they're gonna have internal priorities, you know, with Benny Logan. So I mean obviously Ter- Teron's been riding that Drake Kirkpatrick train for a while. So, and, and he's a smart guy. <laughs> so there's a little bit of influence there, but uh, that would be a really good move for the team.
0: Yeah. What is it, Teron? What is it about uh, Kirk Patrick that you like uh, so much?
3: Yeah. Well, I tell you, I, I am the, um, it, look, Kirkpatrick is a really good player. It, you know, it, and you look at what this team, this defensive coordinator wants. He wants guys that compete. Kirkpatrick competes intensely on every snap. He is a guy that, obviously didn't get off to the best start in Cincinnati, but he settled in and he's become a, a solid cover guy. And as, as Ben mentioned, he could play that off coverage. He could play the zone coverage. He's a total fit. And then in this day and age where you like the corners who who have length to them, he, he's six, two, six, three. So you, you got a guy that makes it harder to throw the ball down the field over. So those are all really good things. And I, I just, I, I'm of the school that, that, you know, Stephon Gilmore, a guy who's looking for $14 million, looking to be paid a top five corner, I don't think that he's worthy of that. I wouldn't pay him more than, you know, five other corners in, in the NFL. So in order to to make that move, now you're going to have to look at doing something like cutting a Jason Peters. Do you really want to release a Jason Peters so you could sign a guy over, sign a guy at a position that you've clearly struggled to find matches to your scheme for in the past? No, I don't think it's wise to do that. I think if the the 8 to $10 million range that uh, Kirkpatrick will probably uh, warrant, I think, is a better deal. But without a doubt, this is one of those years where you have to get a guy or two or three out of the draft. Uh, you look at Logan Ryan also. He's definitely an option. A.J. Boye is, is a guy that mm-hmm. you really can't afford either. But this is a year if you're going to sign a free agent, you got to sign one of those guys like, like Kirkpatrick is the high end of the money that I would spend if I was a GM. I think D.J. Hayden is another one to look at a man coverage guy that, that will come at a, at a lesser price. And our uh, Logan Ryan, I think, is a really good fit, also.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Hayden because he's kind of had that up and down career, too. And, you know, I want again, the, some of those guys where you can take flyers on, you're going to need the depth here anyway to <laughs> until you figure out what happens in the draft. And even, maybe even, you know, I, I guess kind of uh, have a little bit of overage on the depth in free agency is. It's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, and maybe some of those deals end up looking silly if you find your guy in the draft or whatever. But, yeah, you know what I'm just thinking of, too, guys? It, it, there is no way that Benny Logan's going to be here. Not a chance. I mean, if they, it, 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 there, there is, after kind of finally figuring this thing, if things are starting to come into light here. If you got to go pay a, a, a guy to be a number one or number two CB, uh, if you have to go pay... a a couple of wide receivers to be your one and two or your two and three or whatever ends up happening there's not going to be enough money to go around there's just not and and it's and and that's that's unfortunate and I even brought it up again too and and I know it's an ongoing conversation through the offseason I look at Benny Curry's contract and I just go man Benny Logan would have signed that Benny Logan would have absolutely signed that and I think you ended up Signing the lesser of the two players, which again is still kind of, I, I guess, it, let, let's have a talk about Vinny Curry just for a second. Because I, and it, it, it really kind of opened my eyes a little bit when we were having the discussion last week about having a corner kept, you know cover for an extra second. And we, we complain about the, the Cox numbers with the sacks and Vinny Curry and Brandon Graham and a lot of that. Ben, do you really think that Vinnie Curry can be more effective here if you have? A, 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 I don't want to even say much better secondary than you did this this season is slightly better. Do you think that pass rush improves if the secondary is just slightly better this upcoming season?
2: Oh, I absolutely believe that because you have a talented front seven. You have two of, in my opinion, the better safeties in the NFL. You know, maybe maybe the best duo of safeties in the league. But the corners are so, so bad last year or so inconsistent at the least, that you you created this huge hole in the defense and you made it so easy to kind of game plan around the fact that, you know, the Eagles could, could uh, use their safeties deep down the field and they could rush the passer on this, you know, seven, seven step drops. So they were killing, killing the team with that short passing game because they could just pick on that quick passing game because they could just pick on the corners. So even a marginal upgrade at that position could hugely impact the rest of the defense positively. And there was an article on NFL network, or on NFL.com a couple of weeks ago, um, done by Matt Harmon, and what that was saying that Graham, uh, you know, Brian Graham and Vinnie Curry finished inside the top 20 of edge players for individual pressure, and they were averaging 4.01 and 4.03 average yards to the quarterback in the pocket this season, respectively. That I mean, so the pressure is there for both of them they, both of them can get after the quarterback, you know, Graham, I think is a much better player than Curry, but Curry was still making an impact. He just wasn't getting seeing that on the stat sheet. So if you just have an extra second, an extra second and a half of coverage from those cornerbacks, that's when you start seeing more production from your defensive line. Now, does that mean I don't think the defensive line could use a little bit of a shot in the arm? No, I think that they could, they could stand to add some players to that group this off season but adding cornerbacks adding even marginally better cornerbacks than what the team had last year will be a huge boost for the rest of the unit which I think is really talented
0: yeah absolutely and and Teron, I know you agree with that statement as well cuz we were talking about that last week um and I and I want to get into you know, some of those guys that are in the later rounds because we've, we've talked a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about the first and second round guys. And again, it's still kind of up in the air depending on whose draft board you're looking at. And of course, the ESPN fellows are constantly now linking both Florida corners and more popular Tabers going to, you know, the Eagles at, at, at 14 or 15 or whatever it ends up being. And that's whatever. It's a whole different discussion. Of course, it's going to be linked to that way because it's Howie and it's Florida. Uh, but I, I think when, when you brought up and I've brought up too and I, and and this is this is the thing I always kind of come back to is in the draft no matter what happens in free agency if you have an a, an opportunity to have an impact playmaker on any side of the ball no matter what it is the eagles do not have the luxury of passing on it and just going no that's okay we already have that thing we already have Zach Ertz, and we already have Trey Burton and an aging Brent Selig. We have three tight ends, so we're not going to draft a guy like O.J. Howard who's been a constant playmaker in Alabama. That's not something that we're interested in. That is the dumbest thing that I think I keep hearing over and over again. If you have an Idiotic. Oppor- yeah, if you have an opportunity to draft O.J. Howard – you draft OJ Howard and there's no ifs ands or buts about it. I mean, and I'm so glad that you're on that trade, but tell me why you're on that trade.
3: Yeah. And I mean, it, look, I'm not saying he's the absolute guy you have to draft, but if you look at the number one tight, not even look, you, if you look at one of the top playmakers on offense against the number three corner, I would take the number one playmaker on offense over the number three corner. That's really my logic. and, If everything is truly so geared towards making sure that Carson Wentz has the tools to be successful, O.J. Howard is a no-brainer because you look at all the top quarterbacks, what what do they have? They have a guy, a tight end that causes matchup problems, a tight end that that catches the ball well, a tight end that makes plays. That's just the way this, this thing goes. And looking at the NFL, there's this thing called matchups, right? It's it's a game of matchups. Well, you have a guy that, yeah, it, you would you would think you would think that that it, that's you know breaking news with some of these opinions that that you see on social media, but yeah, that is the truth. So when you have a guy that's 6'6", 240 pounds, runs routes like a receiver, catches the ball consistently, has that big of a catch radius, that's a tight end's best friend or excuse me, a quarterback's best friend. You know, Carson Wentz would flourish with a guy like uh, O.J. Howard in in that offense, but then also the guy say, oh, well, hey, you need a vertical threat. Well, let me tell you something. You put that guy, flex him, let him run up the the hashes on those seam routes, that will stretch your defense. A safety does not want a 6'6", 240-pound man running at him uh, on the, on a the seam route. It's it's not something that they want to have to defend. You talk to any of the safeties. You know, Rodney McLeod and I would talk about it all the time. Man, I can't stand having to carry that safety, I mean, that, that tight end <laughs> down the seam. It's just something that, that they have to do, but they don't like to have to do it because you have that threat, and now you have something underneath coming. Jordan Matthews. You know, it, it opens things up so much. So that's why I said O.J. Howard is a guy that I, again, didn't say you have to pick him, but I said he – definitely warrants serious consideration at that position. And, yes, Zach Ertz is really good. I, I'm a big advocate of Zach Ertz. But I tell you what, you could have that 12 person, Look, you, you say receivers are a weakness on this team? Okay, that's fine. If they are, well, you know what? Use two tight ends. And when you have two tight ends that cause the problems that Ertz and O.J. Howard could cause combined, that's, that's really going to be tough for defenses to prepare for. And then furthermore, you know, this whole Brent Selig thing. Let me tell you something. Brent Selig is 80 years old, man. He he's he doesn't have a lot of time left to play in this league. And he's been a great player, and he's known for his blocking. But guess what O.J. Howard does very well? Blocks. So this is a guy you never have to take off the field. He's the ultimate chess piece. I by all means feel that he is someone that, that should be considered. And anybody who who thinks that, oh, well, we have to get a – look, There are eight more picks. There are eight total picks in in the draft. So this is a cornerback class where you could see 10 to 15 guys in the top 100 players. Yeah, That that doesn't suck. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. There's depth, you know, and and just you look back at what the Eagles did, man. You know, in 2002, like I mentioned earlier, they grabbed Sheldon and grabbed Lito and preparing for the future, you know, and they didn't reach to get a receiver in that first round. And uh, I mean, they still just made things work with the guys that they had, but they ended up being very strong on defense. And that was something that, you you know, carried them into that game against the, uh, what was that against the Rams, the NFC championship. So it's just, you know, there's a way you go about doing this and the best player uh, available is, is always a good thing. You look at the Packers. They back in the day, uh, Aaron Rodgers was the best player on their board. They took him, I don't know, 2017, looking back on it, that was probably a good pick, right? <laughs> yes. You look you look at when, when Jordy Nelson was on the board in the second round. Hey, they had Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, James Jones, all of which very productive. I don't know. Looking back now, that was a good pick, right? Yes. It's about drafting players that will have an impact and drafting the best player. You can never have too many good players. And that's what a lot of these, you know, Fellas, that you see commenting on, on on Twitter, that's what they don't understand. They don't understand that good teams draft good players consistently, and they don't reach for a player. Remember, Danny Watkins, you don't reach.
0: Yes, exactly right. And I think that's that kind of. And I know you you slipped and said a tight end's best friend, but honestly, it it would be. It would help. It would help Zach Ertz to get open if you're running two. And call me crazy, but an offense that likes to run three tight end sets and. Is still kind of in, uh, you know, in two tight end sets, even though they're five wide or, or running more twelve personnel or whatever, and, and ball control and all that stuff. I would think multiple tight ends would be a good thing. You know, that's something that they couldn't do this season because of Zach Ertz being hurt. Because you couldn't just, they they didn't have, you know, a, a fourth one that that really mattered. And I think Ben, that just kind of you've been saying that for the last two years, here, Ben. I mean, draft good players is always what this team should be doing. No matter what, you know, it, it, if that means that you have to dip a little on on one side or the other, and again, is I guess what people don't understand is that you can find starting cornerbacks in this draft. It probably into day three, right? Is that, Do you do you agree
2: with that, Ben? Oh, absolutely. I think that you know, obviously, you're not getting the best players, but you're getting you're getting upgrades over what you currently have, and, and guys with upside too. I mean, and there's plenty of different flavors at the cornerback position this during this draft that the Eagles could target on day one, day two, day three. Um, and they can start sooner than later. And can I, can I comment on the OJ Howard? Oh, thing? please
3: do. Yes.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I want to just say, I'm completely on board with that. And, and I, people, what people don't understand is that OJ Howard is a wide receiver in a tight end body, except he can block like Jason Witten. I mean, he is absolutely oh. incredible and he's probably Damn, the man. best. And 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 you can quote me on this, he's the best pass catching value in this draft class. You know, and I love Corey Davis. This is coming from someone who loves Corey Davis. I love John Ross, but you're not going to get a guy who can line up in line and separate on, you know, separate on linebackers, separate on safeties, or you can put him in the slot, or you can put him outside and he can separate on cornerbacks, or he can outmuscle cornerbacks. And what that does for your offense, if that does, you know, specifically for the Eagles offense. If you have a situation where you're getting O.J. Howard on the field, you can stick him in line, you know, run him in line, and then put Zach Ertz in the slot, or you can put you could have you could have two tight end uh, sets on the line, and you have two. I mean, Zach Ertz gets a lot of crap from this fan base, but he's a. I mean, he's the best pass catcher on the team right now. I mean, he's a guy who can get open and catch the football. You know, maybe he can't break tackles after the catch, but when you have a guy like O.J. Howard who can stretch the field. You stretch 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 the field through the middle, you know, run that team like, like Teron was talking about that creates a lot of space for Jordan Matthews and Zachary to be running free in the middle. And, you know, like, like Teron said, good teams don't really care that they have, they already have a guy at a position who's good. They will draft another guy. If he's there, I mean, look at the Patriots. The Patriots, you know, a couple of years ago, they made the Super Bowl with Aaron Hernandez and, and Rob Gronkowski doing exactly that. They were moving Aaron Hernandez around, using his athleticism, and Gronkowski was also being able to move around, but also doing so much work out, out of the inline. And this year, you know, they got go and they went and got Martellus Bennett during the offseason, despite having Rob Gronkowski. And the few games where those two guys were actually on the field together, that that offense was monstrous. And you, know, you see the, the advantages that these like six, two hundred and fifty pound 250 pound you know, speedsters can give you. And you wonder like, why, why would someone be opposed to having that on the team? Especially if, you know, a guy like OJ Howard who can block, who can line up anywhere. Um, and, and it really just comes down to getting the best players and getting a guy like OJ Howard isn't just going to help Carson Wentz. It's going to help Ertz. It's going to help Jordan Matthews. It's going to make the run game more efficient. Um, and it just, it's ridiculous that this, like this, like this insulate insulated thinking about like, Oh, well you can't draft OJ Howard because you have. Trey Burton and Zachary that is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard my entire life
0: (laughs) it's it's very frustrating it is you need to try and have those conversations like in and out every other day of just like because there's always like three or four people that will that will kind of mention that and it and it's crazy to me and it's just it just fits I mean Jesus look at the look at Kansas City's offense just look at that alone it's all tight end driven you know like god damn it's it, it's just like and it's and it's you know there's different wrinkles and there's all that too and whatever these uh, but still i mean that's all you have to look at and secondly i know even though and i'm very a huge advocate i think we're all three of a certain agreement here that being said i mean i severely doubt that the eagles are thinking about oj howard yeah i i i, I am i well hopefully i'm i'm wrong on that but in reality I don't, think they're, <laughs> I don't think they're planning on, A, him actually being there because I think he might go actually a little earlier than everybody's thinking. Top 10. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I think Eagles, the Eagles would have to jump up and get him, which I'm still in favor of, by the way. But, um, yeah, I, I, it, it could be all for not. But if for some reason he is there, uh, definitely draft him. Uh, and speaking of those late-round uh, CB prospects, we are going to take a lot of your questions here, too, and we are, we're already planning on, on talking a lot about these guys. But uh, our good friend Stephen Lee – uh, always checking in, you know, kind of weaving both of his questions in together. You, you know, are, Tarun, are there any tall, lengthy corners that you really like fourth, fifth round? And also, in terms of late CB prospects, what are your thoughts on uh, Witherspoon or uh, Kevin King or uh, Channing Stribbling? Uh, do, do you have any uh, – is there, is there a large gap between those those three guys in your mind?
3: Well, you know, I'm going to leave the Channing Stribbling to, to Ben because I know that's a guy that, that he likes. I, I will say this about Stribbling. I love his route recognition and his ball skills. But just looking at some of the long corners that I think – you know, w- would be really good options. Day three, starting off with Day Deku out of Oregon State. This is a guy I saw firsthand, very aggressive. He likes to press. He likes to reroute at the line. And he really understands the passing game. I-, I like the way he's able to have loose hips, fluent hips, despite being a guy that's 6'3", 208. He moves like a smaller guy. So he's someone that gives you an advantage when, as far as the size is concerned when lining up on the outside. Another guy that I really like and, and a guy that is starting to get some steam in, in the draft world. And I, I talked to his, his position coach a, a lot and that's, that's Jeremy Couture, uh, out of a uh, mid Tennessee state. This guy originally committed to LSU transferred to Mississippi golf uh, college. And he was the number two Juco safety in, in uh, college, college football when he left and went to mid Tennessee, go back and watch that game against Alabama. I actually did a write-up about it, so you don't even have to watch the game. Just click on that. Click on that article that I posted today. It shows different plays that that he is able to make. Very good click and close skills. He's a very physical corner, so you like those guys that that come up and you know will, will make a receiver pay for catching the football. And then, not to mention his athleticism. He's someone he's down there working at Exos in in Florida with uh, guys like Justin Evans from Texas A&M. Uh, Desmond King, I know that's your favorite, John. But there, <laughs> there, uh, there are some rave reviews coming out about him. So he's someone to definitely watch. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't at the the uh, Shrine Game. He was invited to that, and then he had a Senior Bowl invite, but he couldn't go to those because of injury. But he he's a really good player. So he's someone else. Um, as far as Day Three guys, not along the the long corner side of things, Nate Harrison from Temple. Is someone I, I know is on Joe Douglas's radar. I, I know he is because uh, we both watched him at the Shrine Game, and then when he spoke at his little impromptu press conference, you know he mentioned Joe. Du- uh, Joe, Joe Douglas mentioned Nate Harrison and looked at me, and we both kind of smiled. <laughs> and uh, when you look at him, you're talking about a guy who who is very feisty. He's one of those corners that that receivers we hate to go against because he's always in your hip. He, he's always got his hands on you. And it, those are the guys that you you, you want to fight them, you, you know, and they have that ability to kind of not take you out of your game, but, you know, make you play the position a little more angry. And the only guy that could play receiver angry is named Steve Smith. So that, that's another thing with him. Um, as far as the, the change of direction skills, they are there. He's very similar to Tavon Young. Uh, a lot of people have made that comp. And he actually feels that it is a, a valid comp. I talked to him at the Shrine Week, and he had actually mentioned that that's someone that that he's pulled a lot from his game from. But another guy to mention is Marquez White out of Florida State. Now this is a day three guy. Also, he's not as long measurably wide like measure measure wise, but on the field, you know, he reminds me of a guy like a, a Eric Rowe, uh, 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 a a. Um, Bashar Breeland, no, but he, hear me out. Let's not. Let's not. I'm not talking about their ability. I'm talking about the way they look. Like when I saw first saw Eric Rowe play, I thought he was six three, you know. But then when I met him at senior ball and we're eye to eye, I said, "Whoa, wait, what happened?" You know. And that's how white is. He he looks a lot longer than he really is. That's what I'm trying to say. And when you watch him play, you know, he's a guy he who's only beat twice for touchdowns. You know, in, in, in four years of Florida State, he's a guy that came in and was one of the dogs on, on a, a defense that was really stacked. And he, he's an outstanding corner. You see him, he's always in position. I watched them try to double move him so many times at the senior bowl it, it, in, in the practices, it didn't work. He He's always in position to make a play on the ball, but the making a play on the ball side of things is something he still has to work on. So th- that's my take on on a couple guys. And as far as uh, is concerned, I mean, you gotta love a guy whose grandfather is a, is a a blues artist, man. You know, <laughs> Jimmy Witherspoon, one of his his best songs, "Ain't Nobody's Business." You know, that's a really good song. But just looking at his ability itself, this is a guy I really like his his footwork. You know, I watched him against Washington, going against John Ross, a guy who we've seen, you know, just freak people at the line of scrimmage, and he was just so patient and and, and let Ross go ahead and make his move. And, and commit, and then he ran with him. And, and that's something that's really good. And He's long, 6'3", you know, so you're looking at another one of those tough guys to throw the ball over.
0: And, uh, Ben, obviously uh, chime in on, on any of the guys that uh, Teron's talking about here, but let's start with with, uh, with Channing here. Tell me what, uh, what what's good and and what's the bad. Uh, and give me all the goods on uh, on uh, Channing here, buddy.
2: Well, I think with Tra- Channing dribbling what was so impressive is he was able to kind of come in on short notice, uh, the starter ahead of him, Got injured and he was thrust into a, that starting role pretty, pretty late in the process, but you know, six, three or listed at six, three, about 190 pounds, really long cornerback, but he doesn't kind of fit into those tropes about long cornerbacks who aren't able to deal with those shiftier uh, receivers because he is so intelligent uh, and he does such a good job anticipating routes, you know, very good eye discipline, but when the ball is in the air, I think that's when scribbling is at his best because he is. He does have that frame. He uses it so well to attack the football in the air. He has ball skills, almost like a receiver. You know, he got, he had uh uh, 17 pass defense passes defended this year, including four interceptions. Uh, And on top of all of that, he's also not afraid to come up and attack the run. Now I would, with with a guy like that, you want to see him add a little bit more weight. He's a little bit skinny at six, three. And I'm not sure how much more he can kind of improve from an athletic standpoint, But I think the technique, the ball skills are just going to really help him early early on in his career, and even though he might go later in this class because of the depth, that's definitely a guy that you can bring in to your football team, and he can start sooner than later.
0: Yeah, and like we were saying before, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of different pieces that I think, especially if, you know, and that's kind of a, I guess, Ben, for you, because we've talked about so much about, developing corners and and doing a lot of that. And when we talk about a lot of these these guys in the later rounds, is there anything that we should kind of, as Eagles fans or whatever, kind of hang our hats on, <laughs> whether it's Corey Unlin or whatever? Because Joe Douglas can do a, a great job of finding the exact right guys for the system, and there's obviously everybody's having a lot of, a, a big leap of faith based on reputation and background and things like that. And I think everybody's excited for it. But what is, what is it that gives us confidence that this Eagles football team is going to actually develop these guys? Is that something that we should still kind of be worried about at this point?
2: I think that it's, it's hard to kind of knock the history with cornerbacks just because there's been so much front office and coaching staff turnover in the past seven years. Um, you know, even during the Andy Reid era, you had constant turnover with the defensive coordinator position and you had guys in the defensive staff.
0: Are you telling me that Juan Castillo can't develop cornerbacks because I'm going to call you a liar, sir?
2: Um, I mean, I would be skeptical. You know, if the cornerback was maybe about 150 pounds heavier and was a blocker, that would probably be more Juan Castillo's uh, speed. But, it, it, yeah, and then when you shifted over from the Andy Reid era to the – to the, you know Chip Kelly and then you have Chip Kelly come in and then eventually bring Corey Undlin under Chip Kelly and then he brings in his own philosophy and then you fire Kelly and you bring in a new defensive coordinator it's like this constant turnover kind of prevents any of these young cornerbacks from getting any continuity and then you have also on top of that you want these staffs bring in their own guys that fit specifically to their scheme so my faith in the the coaches themselves to develop these guys I mean Jim Schwartz is one of the most you know, he's one of the most decorated defensive coordinators in in the league over the past couple of years, and I think his reputation really speaks for itself. You know, I have a lot of trust in 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 Unland because of his his reputation. You know, when he was with the Broncos too. Um, so it really just comes down to getting continuity at the coaching positions and hoping that those guys stick around for long enough for the for these younger players to get some support from their coaching staffs. And I I think they can do it. I and I think that this is a good class too because. Um, just because of the different uh, players that you can get and the the different feelings that they have, and, and a guy I wanted to comment on that that Teron brought up was was Marquez White, and that's a guy I really like. And and someone you know, uh, Derek Classen, who writes for Optimum Scouting, kind of turned me on to him after the Senior Bowl and says you need to watch this guy. He was probably the best athlete at cornerback down at the Senior Bowl, and, and that really stands out on tape. And, and like Toron said, he also he also brings an attitude to the football field and. I think Schwartz is really going to value guys who who play that mental game so well. Uh, and I, White's a guy that on day three would be a really great addition to the team, just because of his athleticism and also because he does. He is. I mean, he's not the six three that he might have been listed at, but he's probably a solid six six foot six one. Um, this is just a really good cornerback class. I'm, I'm excited about it
0: uh, because it's a question, uh, and I'll get to who is who is uh, asking it. But I remember somebody saying, uh, "Would you go White over uh, King?"
2: Um. Ooh, that's tough. I think I would probably I would probably go to King because I think King is a little bit cleaner now, and he's more physical, uh, and his ball skills are a little bit more polished. In terms of in terms of immediate starter, I think Kevin King makes a
3: lot more sense. Marquez White probably has a higher ceiling just because of his athleticism.
0: Got you. Would you would you uh, say
3: the same there, uh, Teron? Oh, so you're saying White over Kevin King? I thought you meant Desmond King. Okay, yeah, White over Kevin King. That's not a move I could sign off on, man. <laughs> I I really like Kevin King, man, and and he's a long corner.
0: Oh no, I did uh, I, I, I did I did mean
3: Desmond by the way, not not Kevin. Oh, oh okay, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if we're if we're talking White over. For the Eagles, I would take White over Desmond King because, to me, King is more of a zone guy. I I think that the fit with White will be better, and you could work on ball skills. I mean, that's... And when I say ball skills, I'm talking about actually going up and catching the ball. Uh, You could work on becoming a guy that will get turnovers, but he's able to, you know, cover really well in in man situations, and he's fine with zone also. So I, I would say... Go Marquez White over Desmond King, and I know that's not going to be a popular um, choice, you know, because of everyone who who seems to love Desmond King. But I think White's a better corner for the Eagles.
2: Yeah, I, I want to agree with Teron. I would take I would take White <laughs> over King. And I like Desmond King a lot too, but I think that you just, in terms of, you really want to be going for upside with with these day three guys. And I think White brings that more to the table than King.
0: Yeah, and I think you you have both uh, talked about just kind of the confidence factor that kind of goes into these things. And it's not like it's not the John Lynch uh, you know, version of of having a a grit and heart and and uh, how much you love the game scale that I guess he's going to develop over there in San Francisco. But those things matter, and especially for corners, wide receivers, if you don't have any confidence. Forget it, man. It's over. Like you're done. You're out. Like more so than any other position on the field. That's what I like still about the uh, you know the, the mentality of Jim Schwartz and how Corey Unlin coaches and things like that. Toran, I want to get your thoughts on that too because I I think people are a lot and I, and I'm one of them too. I've I have overreacted to a lot of position coaching type of things that are happening here. I think I was defending Greg Lewis for, for you know, because what are you gonna what are you gonna do with that and and you see kind of the downfall of they're they're not getting too much to work with here either. I I still think talent prevails over all that coaching. But what what is it about Corey Unland that you know I I because we you know we both been in a locker room. Obviously there's there's a lot of mutual respect there between the players and him and the and the DBs and also with him and Schwartz. So what is it about Corey Unland that uh, maybe you can give confidence uh, in or or not just your opinion on on how good of a developer of talent he is
3: well first and foremost continuity is key i mean we just we opened up the show talking about how they haven't had the same pair of starters in, in since what 2009 2010 i mean that's definitely something that that won't help any coach now i'm not saying obviously that that Unlin has been here that long but when you look at unland himself any, you want you want a DB, you want to get a player to light up, you want to get a player to open up and talk to you, just go in the locker room and ask him about Corey Unlin. Every one of those guys smile, their eyes light up, because they like coaches that bring energy. And that's what Unlin brings, energy. And then just watching him go through the drill, there's a guy that will run the drill for them. He will take extra time to work with these guys, you know, and, and he gets them prepared. You know, that's something that I talked to Aaron Grimes about he was really impressed with how much Unlin was able to get them prepared, you know, how, how much uh, going into that Steelers game in the in the preseason. You know, he said that he was very comfortable with all their route concepts. He understood what was going to happen, and it, it showed, you know, when he had that great interception. So I think it's really all about preparation, and when you look at Unlin, he's a guy who, who has worked under Bill Belichick who's already shown that, that he has a special – Ability to get the best out of defensive back. So I think that's something to hang the hat on. But then even just, you know, looking back on the continuity part of things, he spent some time in Jacksonville. And one of the guys that, that he worked with in Jacksonville was Rasheen Mathis, who was a Pro Bowl caliber player. And uh, ironically, Jeremy Couture's coach made the comparison of Couture to uh, Rasheen Mathis. So you could see him get a guy that that he's that's similar to someone that he's worked with before in Excel.
0: Yeah. Okay. Excellent.
3: Well, see, I mean, like this is, it's going to be an important
0: year for that too, because uh, I, I think if, you know, things, things don't develop and do that, there's well probably not from Howie, but <laughs> the pressure will kind of boil over uh, from Eagles fans calling for uh, once again, positional coaches heads. But uh, as we kind of kind to of do this, Week by week, we're going to just be kind of uh, switching up and talking about a lot of different, a lot of different players, a lot of different positions, and we'll get into more like uh, philosophical stuff as, as far as you know, uh, how the draft shakes out, and of course, as free agency gets closer, probably have a, a lot more uh, easier time answering some of these questions as things kind of fall in line here. Want to get to your the rest of your questions, and you guys always are doing a fantastic job of that at bgn underscore radio on the twitter.com, and of course, uh, now that we have our uh, Facebook page up and ready to rock and roll as we've finally joined the, <laughs> the 21st century on that I can't believe we haven't had that going but uh, BGN radio podcast uh with the backslash in the facebook.com and and a lot of that before we get into questions I just want to give a quick shout out to Richard Hater over on the pod and it's he's not a hater of this podcast but uh he has been um it, you know a, a fan, I've been forgetting for the last 2 weeks to uh, congratulate him on his on his new uh, baby girl, Aubrey. So congratulations, and it's good to have. I've been noticing a lot more that there's been a ton of people from the UK that are starting to grow into Eagles fans. So uh, I, I, I love that, and we might have to come up with something at some point where we take a trip <laughs> to England and just hang out with everybody, I think it would be a, a a very fun time, and we'll grab beers and do all that stuff. So, congratulations to you and your wife, my friend. And we still have a a, a mini surprise kind of in the works there for you. We'll we'll hopefully that'll be that'll be sent out to you pretty here soon. Uh, speaking of uh, the other side of the pond as well, Neil Dutton, who uh, was nice enough to have me on his podcast, ask: Is there any player, while not an obvious need, that the Eagles should grab? No matter what, Ben Natan. Are we talking
2: about in the first round? A- any At any
0: point in time. Oh, hmm. Can, I mean, I think we already covered that. With o- yeah, O.J. Howard I mean, is one of those. We covered that with
2: O.J. Howard. Uh, another player I would take if he's there is Carl Lawson. And I, I wouldn't even think twice about that.
0: Wow. Teron, anybody, anybody for you that you, you must have other than O.J. Howard?
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with it from a sleeper perspective and I'm going to say Jordan Morgan out of Kutztown. I think he could come in and and be uh, a starting left guard for them. I I think that he also brings the versatility of of being able to play left tackle as well. He was the PSAC, which is the SEC of division two football um, as my man, Emery Hunt would say. And as I proudly would say, having played in that conference, you know, he was the offensive player of the year as a left tackle in that conference. So, you look at a guy that will come in and have value for them. I think he's someone that at some point in the draft, you know, they definitely need to grab.
0: Uh, just switching gears real quick to our good friend, Matt Gumbrecht. If the Eagles cut Peters right now, Benetton, how high does O-line rank in draft priority?
2: I mean, it it shoots into that top three, and, and it, it probably goes over pass rusher. You're looking at cornerback, running back, and cornerback, running back, and then probably – uh, probably offensive line in that top three, and if you have a guy like um, Cam Robinson falls to fourteen or something like that, you snatch him right up. <laughs>
0: good, good, good luck with that. <laughs> I, and, and again, that's that's probably another guy that if if for some reason you know he uh, if if for the second year in a row he decides that or somebody decides I should say to post a video of him smoking weed in a gas mask, you absolutely snatch that kid up without a doubt. Uh, because, again, weed is fine, and it's not a big deal. Uh, so well, maybe
2: I should call Cam Robinson <laughs> and ask him if he wants to party with me now. <laughs> uh,
0: let's uh, switch gears. It's kind of an interesting thing that I think has been buried throughout this offseason here. Our good friend uh, Frank at uh, Random Frank KP, who's got a fantastic YouTube channel. If you are a, a big nerd like myself and like to see uh, different PC rigs that people have built. Please do to go check him out. Uh, Teron, Michael Kendricks, are you keeping him? Are you trading him? Are you cutting
3: him? No, I think you have to keep Michael Kendricks. He still has value with the team. He's still a very capable linebacker. It's just he didn't get to play as much because you know they have Nigel Bradham and, uh, and, uh, and Jordan Hicks on the field more often due to their nickel package. I mean, you're seeing a lot of three-receiver sets, so he's not getting as much playing time, but I think if they trade him, they still have to absorb a good portion of his salary. So there really wouldn't be much use trading him unless it was something that I originally put together. You see a lot of guys writing about it now, but it resulted from a conversation that I generated, which was you package him and a, a, a second round pick to the saints in exchange for brandon cooks that's the one situation where i would trade (laughs) him god yeah
0: i mean and that was that was a question that was asked and and i was just like i'm pretty sure the entire website of the twitter.com would say yes to that of course i wouldn't even think twice like uh, you could say give up your first round pick this year for him and i'd say absolutely you got it no problem (laughs) you right on uh yeah so i yeah I, i could see that too i think yeah, I think you keep them. Ben, do you do you keep them this year as well? I mean, I don't think they have a choice.
2: Yeah, I, it, like Teron said, if unless you can get a hell of a trade for him, you keep him here. And I think that something that also kind of went under the radar is once once Jim Schwartz decided to start blitzing more and using Michael Kendricks on those blitzes, he's really good at that. Yes. Uh, and and that's still a little thing you can keep up with your sleeve on defense. And because his value, with that, keep him around on top
0: of the whole absolutely. And I think that goes again goes back to the secondary. I, I as much as yeah, he says he doesn't like to blitz he would still be aggressive, and he would still try to find Michael Kendricks to do something. So once they get the secondary toned down, I think you'll see those blitz numbers uh, going up. Our good friend and, of course, co-host and brand new to the podcast, Mr. Jack Fritz, who, congratulations, is now a uh, an official producer over at the Sports Radio 94 WIP. Any thoughts on uh, uh, Gramblings, uh, of course, Chad Williams? Uh, I, w- I-, I would just like to say, first, I mean, he was supposed to be – Kind of a rising target. A lot of people were, were talking about him, and it, even before, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season were coming in, and it's scrambling. So there's not a lot of there's not a lot of television coverage. There's not a lot of that, but I, he sticks out to me as he's kind of one of my dark horse guys. I, I I really like the way he plays. I think he plays a lot bigger than he actually is. He's very aggressive. His ball skills are phenomenal. You know, a, a great freak, great route runner. All those things. Uh, I I would. I would kind of keep an eye on him. I'm curious how he kind of files into to this draft class, to run, But do you have any you have any thoughts on Chad Williams?
3: Oh, I most certainly do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chad Williams is a guy that I, I really like. You know, when you look at receivers, you always like wideouts that catch the ball with their hands consistently, and that's what he does. He always catches the ball with his hands, and just seeing him in person. When he catches the ball, it, it has a, a quiet sound, just like a, and that's, that's the sound that you want. You know, when a guy catches the ball, because it's just the ball stopping at their hands. But in addition to that, he's a dog, man. He's a yeah. dog. And and anybody want to question his toughness, look at the senior ball. You know, I don't know exactly what happened during practice, but Miami safety Rayshon Jenkins said something. And then he swung on him and, and I tell you, Chad will' let the fist fly. man it may not have been the best thing to do, you know because the guy had a helmet on, but still he let the fist fly. That tells me he's a dog. he's about it and, and that's what you want you know when you look at a receiver in addition to that, just looking at you know some of the things that that, that uh, you know he's been able to do. one of the things Joe Douglas and talking to him, he, he said you always look at and, and he's right in this. He said you always look at a, a small prospect, a small school prospect. Look at how he plays against you know better con- competition. See if he levels up. He clearly leveled up at the senior bowl, but you look at—I think it was—it was either the first or second game. He had thirteen receptions for a hundred over a hundred y'all you know, hundred fifty yards, I think it was a- against Arizona. So that tells me that he is fully capable of leveling up. But then just you know he had a really good game in the celebration bowl as well. So. This is a guy, man, he's a baller, you know, and he's someone you you definitely want to keep track of. As you mentioned, getting in and out of his routes really good. He's a smooth route runner, and he's not afraid to go up and catch the ball in traffic, you know, and that's the other thing that goes back to his heart. Chad Williams is a guy I think will be a star uh, or has potential to be a star in the NFL.
0: Which is interesting. Would you say, because this is – I'm going to go to Ben after this, but Teron, would you say that – um, as Ryan Jones is asking, do you think that he has one of the the best chances to be a, a, a star in this league as a day three guy?
3: Yeah, I, I definitely do. I, I think he, he has one of the best chances. And, um, you know, wh- when I saw that question initially, that's the name that popped into my mind. But there's also a guy at North Carolina A&T that you want to keep your eyes on. That's Tariq Cohen, a running back that could be used as, as a receiver to. Just as as a, a playmaker, so he he could be another option.
0: Ben, I'll ask you the same thing because uh, it's an interesting question. Who who do you think has the highest ceiling uh, on on day three in in, in any skill position? Ooh. It's a tough, it's a hard one. It's a very hard question (laughs) because one, I mean, you got to think, okay, this guy's really talented. And then Jesus, I got to make him a star in the NFL. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I, I I actually don't know enough to to really answer it. So I'm real. I'm relying on you guys.
2: The guy I really like uh, who I think is probably going to end up going later just because um, of level maybe level of competition is is Carlos Henderson, uh, the LaTeX wide receiver. And, you know, he's a, he's a bit smaller, you know, five ten probably 190 pounds, but he is, I mean, I, I loved Corey Coleman last year. And I, when I watched this guy, he looks like Corey Coleman at uh, he looks like Corey Coleman at Louisiana tech and he scored 19 touchdowns this year, 18, almost 19 yards per catch. I mean, he was, he was a big play machine and this is a guy who can get deep down the field, create yards after the catch, you know, take those really short passes and, and kind of break away from defenses. Uh, he. He's a really, really, I think, special athlete. He's going to show out during the combine, and if he slips to day three, I would love to get him on the team. And at the very least, you, you kind of bring him in as a as a return guy who can slowly work his way up as a wide receiver. And uh, he's a playmaker. And and with his athleticism, it's hard not to see him having a successful career.
0: Excellent. Well, I mean, we have we have plenty of work to do to to go research those guys. If you, you know, that's I mean, and. That's what's going to kind of be important here. I guess that's why I'm uh, uh, even more excited about the Joe Douglas thing because he understands that, you know, well, every every freaking player personnel understands that late round hits. And UDFAs and a lot of that go a long way. And, uh, you know, a lot of the Super Bowl teams and people that have gone deep, have had deep runs and are, you know, are, are doing all those things. It's, it's evident that you have to rely on that uh, a lot. And Howie was kind of already good at that anyway. That's, that's the other thing that I will give him credit for is that there was some, some nice finds UDFA-wise. You know, Cedric Thornton obviously sticks out the most even though he's down and playing in Dallas right now, but... You know, he gave you starting ability. Those things are very, very important when you're trying to put on, you know, and put together and develop guys into that that playoff run, that Super Bowl run, kind of contending team. Uh, a couple other questions, just real quick, that I'll answer from uh, our good friend Philly Mike over there at the uh, the Green Legion, which you can uh, go and uh, go and check out. Why does John hate? Uh, Cooper Cup, I I don't I, I don't hate him. I don't hate him. I'm just I'm just trying to counterbalance like the overextreme of he's the third best wide receiver in this draft. Let's let's slow down. There's about five or six other guys that I think would take over him, and he'll probably have a great career in Jerry Rice and slow and all that stuff. Uh, who blinks first, Peters or Howie? Uh, definitely Howie, because again, as we said before, uh, Peters definitely has all the leverage uh, going into there. Uh, we will uh, definitely be back next week. Uh, I, I wanted just to extend the podcast because uh, there was an interesting thing that I guess happened on the Twitter.com. It's the off season and uh, tensions are high and and things of that nature. So, I you know, it, I it, I was going back and forth. I was actually having this argument in the text thread with Ben and our our good friend uh, Matt Daring. So Derek Carr had tweeted this thing out. Where and I don't even I didn't know know what he was talking about, so I had to actually go see it. So he he just tweets this thing that says saw this seven year old kid collecting recyclables, so he can can pay for college. Had made ten k. Get off your tail and go work hard for what you want. Now I looked at that and I just said, oh, that's kind of cool that there's a seven year old kid kind of you know uh it's, it's somehow going around and and collecting recyclables to try and pay for his college and all that and the, the 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 firestorm that came from this of like you fucking low level douchebag you rich motherfucker you know, it was just all on my all on my timeline i was saying like you'd have no clue a how my, i mean that that's not going to pay for any type of college uh you were a rich kid your 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 brother was in the was a starting nfl quarterback making millions of dollars you, you came from a rich family. Like, how dare you say that? Whatever. And to a point, I agree that there are, listen, wrong, right message, wrong messenger. Uh, you know, people that look at, at, at pulling up your bootstraps is kind of like, yo, know, you don't have a really great take on, on reality here, pal. So I, I understand some of that. And for some of the political reasons, I don't think he's identified himself as a Trump supporter or anything. I, I get that people get, would be upset by like, well, if you're a Trump supporter and you're telling us and you're rich, go fuck yourself because... You, you don't know what hard work is i'll show you what hard work is and, and i didn't i didn't take that at all <laughs> i don't know ben like i i saw you reacting to a, to a couple of uh, of these things too and I, I just didn't get it i i think it's okay if a 7 year old it who later found out it's a, it's a family business of of these people that go in in orange county california they they you know they take up all the all of the recyclables that they can they get paid for it uh and and they kind of move on and do that so they're i, I think uh, f- from what i understand from the story they're trying to establish a nice work ethic for him and they're also donating some of those proceeds to uh, uh i think the whales or animal life dolphins it's uh, something like that I, I read it so quickly i i, I should have uh, leaned into it more but i i don't know man i did, did but explain to me ben why why people are so upset about this this certain tweet here
2: look i can understand being impressed with the work ethic of the 7 year old kid that's fine compliment the work ethic but then to turn this story in my opinion to turn the story into a oh well you should be doing this too get off your tail and go work hard for what you want that's when it starts to become a little bit problematic for me especially when you're talking about a kid raising money for his own college education at the age of 7 years old i mean my reaction to that would be like this kid is working so hard for a college education and He has a childhood that he's not experiencing because he has to, he, I mean, there's a society that's asking him to pay so much for college education. And like the way this guy is looking at it is like, well, this is actually a good thing. And my opinion on it would be like, this kid is working hard. That's great. We should not be in a society that's asking a seven-year-old to be working this hard for his college education right now. Like, that's just a ridiculous thing to me.
0: So much weight behind what that seven-year-old is actually doing. You know, no one, no one is saying that this kid is, is. I mean, because it's, here here's the two things I have a problem with with those types of reactions and I, I and I'm I'm not this isn't anything against Ben this I'm just saying this in general the the fact that one the family business is a, is a recycled job and and people are reactive like oh you're making this kid pick up trash no it's their it's their family business it's what they do for a living and you're telling and you're you're kind of in that sense degrading what they're doing it's it's how they live it's how they you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't be if if they owned a mcdonalds or whatever or a family restaurant then this kid was bussing tables because uh if, if folks just so you know if it is a family business the the labor laws don't you know apply there if it's it's kind of the, the amendment of that rule i know a lot of i've grew up in that business where there's a lot of underage kids that are part of the family that were helping out the restaurant on the weekends or whatever it's a whole different topic but, like, the the fact that, like, oh, you're picking up trash as, like, that's a terrible job, and then you go and see the YouTube videos of him doing it, they, they really enjoy it. You know, it, I, I understand what Ben's saying from that standpoint, but I, there's, uh, it, you know, it's 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 what they do. It's their household. I don't know. I don't know.
3: Thron, I, we all kind of overreacting to this thing. Look, man, it's honorable that the kid is doing what he has to do to even just the fact that he understands how expensive college is going to be when he goes to school I-, I think that's that's honorable but i mean at the same time yeah okay why do you have to tell someone to get up off of their butt I mean, you know there's there's ways that that you could word it to be uh, more friendly because you do know nowadays you, you there's not really much you could say without offending someone so you have to be selective with with how you go about doing it Something that we don't always do on this here podcast, or anything else that <laughs> that we do. But hey, what the heck? I mean, he, the guy made a statement, and he made the statement knowing that you know there's going to be a reaction, and uh, you know, words hurt, but you know they're not going to kill him, so it, he'll be fine. And,
0: and Ben, this is what this, to, to the to that point, I want I wanted to say two things. One, I mean, like I don't, I, I really don't think Derek Carr was saying. It's only ten thousand dollars for college. I mean, you know, it's just if what, what do you what do you want the kid to do at that point? Then make no money and just also not go to college. Like I I I, I didn't understand, and and I understand the messenger messaging type of thing because I kind of feel the same way about that too. And if it was, and Ben, if I tweeted that out. What would be the reaction?
2: Well, and that's that was my other point, and that's something I wanted to get to. Is like this is the same guy who you know two weeks ago, three weeks ago, he like quote tweeted something about you know all these different senators or or government officials were boycotting the inauguration of of our um, what's a nice word controversial president, um, and and he was like, well, you know, we really need to like stuck it up and and really respect the president or something, something, something like that, and it just kind of showed the other universe that he lives in that, where he does not understand the, the 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 fear and just the fact that other people live different lives and and perceive things much differently than he does because of his his comfortable position in life and like there's nothing wrong with being wealthy I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with being wealthy I mean it, it, what is what is an issue is people who just don't understand that there are other other lives out there and people who are, are affected by things differently and I think that statement that he made a couple, a couple of weeks ago, really informed kind of the rest of his rhetoric on other things, because if he is so down for supporting um, such an administration that may or may not have strong feelings about people of color or people of, you know, from different countries or stuff like that, it's like, well, like, what are you really trying to say here? It's like, what are you, what are you really trying to say? Like, what is your view of like how people should act? And, and when we talk about this whole conversation about, you know, whether or not college should be free you know public education should be free it's like th- this kind of comes off as being the thing is like oh you know college shouldn't be free because we shouldn't let people be mooching off of our government type of situation see, it's like, that's, a, that, that's that, how but, that comes ben, off that's where
0: wor- that i will see th- again i think that that's my problem with it that's so my problem with it. much weight behind that one statement that you put behind that specific tweet and i guess my issue and and i'm not saying it's it's wrong to feel that way either because yeah whatever especially leading up to that you don't know where it's coming from and i i just think we it's uh, we get into this thing where we get dangerously close to just like railroading i don't want the kid to be like the statement now you know, and that's what I I guess that's what pisses me off about all this stuff Was it's just like, "Oh yeah, you know, you're you're really tr- it, it it tends to end in that territory and it's it doesn't become about Derek Carr anymore, it becomes about, you know, oh, whatever this whatever it doesn't matter whatever this kid is is, is doing is worthless anyway because he's not going to have be able to afford that or whatever. You know, it's just like at least he's I think it's nice that this kid is Trying something to better benefit his life, and I think if Derek Carr would have just presented it that way, it would have been better. But uh, I, again, I you know, it's the offseason intentions are high, that's that's where it really comes down to for me. And I, I get it if you I, I'm not trying to defend or sound like hey, you know, take it easy on Derek Carr, I really don't care, he's a millionaire. He can take it. You, you should. You should blast him for a lot of that stuff because I don't think a lot of athletes are socially aware when they really need to be or understand the situation that's going on. And if you know, especially when you're when you're yelling out against protests and things like that. But I, you know, it just really gets into those like, oh, uh, again, b- back to like, oh, citing labor laws and, and you know, they're using this kid as a marketing tool. Then it becomes against suddenly it becomes against their family. And what they're doing and whatever. When they're doing actually a, a, a pretty great thing and that's what, and it's not a lower class level of them, you know, because they are, uh, own a recycling business. I don't think that should be a part of anyone's mentality or anything. Like that should, if you if you have any job, and we've all worked crappy jobs before to get to and you're trying to do something to get to further yourself later on in your life, I don't think that should ever be looked at as a bad thing and I think that's that's kind of actually it tunnels into that somehow because of because of Derek Carr for some reason because they don't like uh maybe his political views or or kind of whatever which is also interesting too you know we're gonna I want to keep this going for a little bit because I saw I saw today and I obviously I don't watch you know undisputed or anything like that but I did see I did see a clip of of Nelly uh bringing up the fact about you know bennett and uh, and McCordy not not wanting to go to the the white house which i thought was it was very very interesting of how we kind of relate sports and politics and a lot of stuff and, and i get that we all want to take it out of of sports and it's supposed to be our escape but i mean it is all it has been really intertwined especially this year again for obvious reasons and you know he had he went on and made just uh, fantastic points left to right about you know because there are some people saying like well you're part of the team you have to go it looks bad when you're not part of this but I, I, Teron here's what I find interesting is that Tom Brady was an obvious backer of Donald Trump and didn't put it out there in a, in a huge regard but you saw you know the Make America Great hats in his locker room you saw obviously there was you know connected it all together with Kraft and and, and Belichick and and all of that. Nobody really got upset about that, but they got really upset in another silent protest with with Kaepernick, you know, and that was the discussion. There wasn't one time this year where all of us looked at when Tom Brady and go, "Oh my God, he supports Donald Trump," and that should be this. How dare you bring politics into the locker room, even when it was subtle? How dare you kind of do that? Uh, and and it's and it's weird to have. I, I just thought that was weird. I think it's it. everybody just kind of picks and chooses whatever it is that they want to be mad or upset about politically when it comes into sports. But I, I, I thought uh, Nelly's point on, on, on going through and just saying like, they didn't have a team vote in the last election when they won the Super Bowl, when Obama was president and certainly like, you know, being left out of that or whatever. I, I don't know
3: what do you, do you have any, any takes on, on any of that stuff? Yeah. And I'll tell you something that's really interesting that that's, that's, Left out. I mean, we talk about, okay, McCordy and, and, and Bennett not going, and they're a part of the team and how it's supposed to happen. Well, the last time they visited the White House, a certain guy who wears number 12 <laughs> did not go. Oh, yeah, that
0: was his point. That's right. Exactly.
3: And I tell you, it, it, it's just so interesting, and, and something that, that James Harrison from the Steelers said once, it's no fun when the rabbit has the gun. So now, here it is, you know, everybody, people want to criticize these guys for not going, but there wasn't really much criticism being heaped upon Brady for not going when Obama was president. Now, listen, I, I don't really like to get into discussions about politics because they they cause too many irrational, emotional, unwarranted uh, disputes. But I will say that it's just interesting that the double standard here, because I mean, me personally, I would think that the leader of the team, of all people, is the one that that should be going, and he didn't, and it wasn't an issue. But now you got guys who are a part of the team and not the clear-cut franchise face, and it's an issue.
0: Yes, yeah, big time. And Ben, you kind of—I mean, like I—I feel the same way as Taron. I, mean, I think it's—I think it's ridiculous that. You know, Tom Brady always comes out clean again. The five Super Bowls and the, the Pretty Boy, and the, you know the, the the whole the whole kit and caboodle. There, I think it's I think it's a weird discussion to kind of have of that. Now it's suddenly a controversy.
2: Yeah, I have strong feelings on Tom Brady, so all I'll say is that I'm, I'm really happy that you know Devin Cordy and Martellus Bennett felt felt empowered to do what they're doing. I think it's what they're doing is important, and they have every right to do it. You know, just technically is a you know. He had every right to not go to the White House when Obama was there. Just like Matt Burke, did you know he did the same thing? And it's like that's their political view. I can disagree with that, but that's their right. And similarly, you know, Ortyan and Bennett, they feel they 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 don't feel welcome in the White House. And you know, who's who's to say that they're wrong? Um, and and I think that that's um, I think what they're doing is is great because. I think it is important for, you know, the reason I think that politics and and politics, not just sports and politics and entertainment in general, is you see these people coming from all these different walks of life who make it to, you know, they make it to the NFL, they make it to the NBA, they make it to Hollywood and they have an opinion on life because they've come from somewhere different than a lot of the rest of the world has. And they want to use their position as athletes, as entertainers, as whatever, to talk to people about it, and, and when you when you actually listen to Bennett talk about his his views on the world, his views on society, is, I mean, that, that is one smart dude. Um, mm-hmm. He he wrote some stuff I think for Players Tribune a, a couple months ago, and, and he there's some really excellent stuff out there about his actual you know formulated views on this stuff. And it was the same thing with Kaepernick. It's like these guys aren't just posturing for the sake of posturing. Nope. They care about things, and there's long. There's literature on how much they care about these certain things, and it's ridiculous for, to to say that oh, you know, they're trying to do this for attention, or they're trying to do this for this or that or the other thing. It, it, don't diminish their point of view. Don't diminish where they've come from. Um, and, and I'm not I'm, I'm not trying to make this a political thing. I'm really just trying to make this about the players themselves and where they come from. And and uh, I I think it's great that you know Bennett Bennett is really and also I want to say this for Devin McCourty. You know these guys are really genuine and true to themselves in the way that like they believe in something they've said they've believed in it for a very long time and they're sticking to their guns on it, um, and I and I can really appreciate that. So good for them.
0: Absolutely, and that's I, I come from a lot of that too. And and honestly, no matter what, no matter what kind of anybody's viewpoint is on that, you know I I just think, <laughs> and we get really and I'm not saying like accept somebody's viewpoint if you don't agree with it but like you know we blow up into these things and it's it's so it's so hard to have that this is uh you know we're going to talk about this for play on and off the field too and and it's not just politics it's anything it's always one of those things that is it is very very hard uh to to, to try and find i like this guy for what he does on the field but man oh man now i'm rooting against him because of because because of a b and c and, it, and, it, and again it goes I think the same discussion goes back to just this Derek Carr tweet like oh my God how dare he but at the same time like you know you can you can be <laughs> I don't know I, I I probably won't agree with Derek Carr's views a lot politically or, or whatever but at the same time like I can look at that and go like oh yeah that's that's fine <laughs> like whatever I you know we can't just because of the the messenger messenger thing it really gets tied into this thing and i'm I'm tired of not having to be able to have and, and Tehran's right like it is it's a sticky situation it's hard for a lot of people and I and I hold back a lot of the time too obviously Ben doesn't because he's you know the uh, the warrior that he is and that's I think that's amazing I just can't I can't put up with some of the stuff that like he gets in return and I'm like oh my god I can't deal with that that's mainly one of the reasons why I don't tweet a, a ton politically. And just, that's uh, because I'm 20 and I have no filter. And I'm completely it's, well, it's not even. It's not even that too. I I, I would probably be doing save a lot of the same things too. I, it really is just i think for me out of fear of just like i don't want people to misconstrue what i'm trying to say in 140 characters and i think that's a good and bad of twitter and it's the same thing with why we're talking about Derek and just for the record i have had never had any affiliation with any political party so stop calling me a libtard for the love of god i have points of view all over the place and i fucking hate being locked into whatever i like listening to everyone's opinion because that's how you learn things uh but aside from that it's just it's i've just noticed it's been incredibly hard to separate politics from sports and you're noticing more and more people getting in, in involved with you know like doug fair is a guy that i follow all the time there is no filter there you know like seth uh, over at espn who's just lighting it up and doing all that and i think that's i think that's okay i think you can still ha- i think you can actually yell and scream at each other and completely disagree and still come back to sports at the end of the day like i think it's i think that everything is okay i think screaming protesting not saying anything it's all okay uh, it, it's just a matter of uh, wh- how much and, and what you're going to accept and, and what you're not. And I think we can all come to conclusion of what is right and wrong in the end. So uh, with this uh, little uh, little nice tidbit of, of conversation that we've had here, I think that's going to wrap it up for BGN Radio episode 222. Uh, I want to thank Teron Davenport, of course, Ben Natan, and for myself, John Barchard. We will catch you next week right here on BleedingGreenNation.com and BGNRadio.com.
3: My All favorite right, ice cream is mint chocolate chip, and what I like to do with it is crush up Girl Scout cookies, chocolate mint ones, and put it over top. It's a fat boy's Holy dream. Hell, that's, man, that's, that's I, the, man, I like that. Yeah, right. That's the offensive lineman. Try
0: it, that.
2: Oh my God, I take um, I take just like caramel. Trying to find that caramel ice cream, and then I just take big scoops of peanut butter and I put that on top and. Hmm. I'm well, about that. I can be a, big, a big, big bowl of that I
0: kind of, I kind of feel like we should start an ice cream <laughs> I,
2: I like that more ice Bleeding cream, green it's... Bleeding green ice cream